This show is proudly sponsored by Coinspot.com.au, with the largest range of cryptocurrencies anywhere in the Australian market. With an updated verification process, you can now be verified using only your driver's license or passport within seconds. You can instantly deposit funds and instantly start buying and selling your favorite cryptocurrencies in under five minutes. Coinspot are giving away $10 worth of free Bitcoin for each verified user once they make their first deposit. Just go to coinspot.com.au forward slash BTC123. Trader, trade, trader, Cobb Crypto Podcast. This is the Trader Cobb Crypto Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Trader Cobb Crypto Show. We've got a Good mate, Juan Lee, with us again from NextChange today. Uh, Juan's been over in uh, Korea for the Korean Blockchain Week and also stopped by the Hybrid Summit in Thailand. So it'll be very interesting to sit down, have a bit of a chat, a conversation about what's going on, the vibe, the feel, and uh, what is new or becoming new in the space. So Juan, thanks so much for being on the show again, mate. Well, it's great to be here, Craig. It was an exciting time, both in Korea and also in Bangkok. Yeah, look, I, I heard a lot of my friends were over in Korea. I, I honestly just got back and uh, needed to have a bit of a break, to be completely honest. I was sort of tired of uh, not being with my family. So I'm really excited to hear your take on, uh, I guess, what the future is. Because we, we know what it's like from, from event to event, especially the bigger ones. The, the the vibe, the the feel, I know it sounds very hippie to say that, but there is definitely, you know, the conversation changes and shifts very quickly. Are you finding that um, there are some key points that is on the tips of the crypto community's tongues at the moment at these events? Well, let me first say that uh, I think the Korea Blockchain Week was a very comprehensive week. It was clearly not just Koreans coming together and having a conference. It was the whole world converging together. Um, and I saw you know, people from all around the world, from the U.S., from Europe, all throughout Asia. So clearly, Korea is becoming not just one of the main areas for blockchain uh, conversation, but the world is looking at it for actually the next developments. So um, also what I was going to mention is that some of the topics that are interesting, I think, is not just the evolution of the ICO, but I think the evolution of the people that provide the capital to the ICO. The institutional investors, the whole changes that are taking place, I think, uh, from the crypto asset management industry and the evolution, the the new funds that are being developed, I think that will shape the kind of projects that we'll see that will be funded in the future. So, I mean, look, we, we talk about institutional money a lot. It, it's, it's a war cry of the... Uh, of the crypto sphere, talking about the money that's to come, how it's going to come, all the speculation around that. What you said before really makes sense, and I don't know if it's been looked at in enough detail or talked of enough, which is institutional money is a very easy conversation to have. Yes, when big money comes in, yes, there will be certain things that happen. But you touched on it just a second ago when you said it will you know, it may shape the way projects need to run. Can you go into that in a little bit more detail and just elaborate what you mean by that a little bit more? Well, I mean, let me give the details of that, um, you know, shortly, but I want to just shape a little bit about the landscape because that's also important in that, in that question I'm asking. The landscape is that the cryptocurrency market capitalization approximately is 300 billion US dollars. If you compare that to capital markets, it's like 0.4%. It's tiny. 
And when you look at the assets under management, which is about $5 billion, it also shows you that it is a nascent industry, even compared to the small market capitalization of the crypto market. So that actually is a very important comment in terms of what are the next steps, because clearly the crypto asset management industry is in its infancy. If you look at kind of crypto funds today, there are the large ones, the ones that are almost a billion dollars. And then there's basically after that, it's it falls off the cliff to just really a very a lot of crypto funds are tiny. They're like, you know, one to 10 million U.S. dollars. So the institutions that you see today that are investing in crypto projects, can you really call them institutions? I would just say they're just you know, small uh, uh, companies or uh, entities investing in projects. The future will come much larger institutions into the into the sphere. Yeah, they're definitely boutique aren't they? I mean, it's to, to even, you know, you look at a fund these days, some of the biggest in crypto to be a billion. That's, that's the biggest in our space by a long way, but it's not even a scratch on the surface when you, uh, when you compare it to a traditional markets that, that are out there at the moment. It, it, there's a huge amount of evo- evolution to come. Are they going to be looking to invest um, at seed round? Are they going to be looking to invest in you know, existing projects? Is there an appetite? I mean, there'll, there'll be an appetite for all the sorts of different things. Where are they seeing the uh, the mitigation of risk being the most highly? I mean, obviously, every, every fund wants to know where they can mitigate their risk or minimize their risk as much as possible. Where are, and this might be a question you don't have the answer to, I'm not sure, Juan, but where do they seem to think that the the safest place to be investing is at the moment? Well, I mean, if you just look at valuations alone, um, a lot of the investments so far have been in the protocols. And the reason the, why it's been in protocols is that you know, eventually the, the, the dApps that get placed on top of the protocols will benefit what? The protocols. So the, the reason why, you know, uh, you know, projects and companies like EOS has gotten such large valuation. So a lot of the funds that have been investing, they, many of them have strictly focused on a lot of the protocols, which is the reason why their valuations are higher. The other thing I would like to mention is that um, the trend I see, which I see a lot more the categorization of crypto venture capital funds. These are com- you know these are the traditional VCs that are coming into the market. They just don't want a piece of the token. They want also the equity. So that's another trend I see to mitigate risk. They want a slice of equity and a slice of the token. So they're part of the overall project. That makes sense too. I mean, look, having a having a wedge of the tokens is one thing. Having a wedge of the actual company itself is another. Uh, and you know, one should underpin the success of the other. But you know, having a slice of something that is, as opposed to just the token, is is, is a big difference. And it, it coming to the, the way that institutions are looking to shape uh, the progression of ICOs, I, I, I suppose. I suppose that's an area people are in the space. We can't just be, you know, out there on a whim going, Oh, I'm, I'm going to solve a problem. These need to be much more sophisticated projects with fantastic teams. And they're going to have to curb a little bit to the whims of what these uh, VC and, and, and more traditional funds are going to want to see. Do you, do you see that sort of helping the space to evolve in a negative or positive way? I think all the institutional money coming in is going to be positive because really the benchmarks for investing in projects will be elevated. 
it will no longer be about just a white paper and a dream, but it will be about execution history. A tremendous amount of scrutiny in the past has been placed um, on the management team, but I think more importantly, the quality of the management team isn't just the the, the resumes that are on the uh, website, but have they worked together? Um, Has there been an execution history of previous similar projects? What is their knowledge of blockchain? How are they able to, in so many cases of these projects, to build community, which, uh, as I mentioned in the past, is a not a money-solved problem. It requires a tremendous amount of finesse and somewhat uncharted territory at times. Yeah, well, there's a lot of uncharted territory in this space. That's kind of where the risk is. That's kind of where the reward is. And that's kind of where the excitement is because there's so much still get to do as the world still sort of catches up, I suppose. Uh, big business sort of catches up to uh, the technology that is present and available to us at the moment. Well, as far as the institutionalization goes, I mean, obviously, we haven't seen the influx yet. We haven't seen the money hit the market. We still see, as you say, a sub right now, it's sub $300 billion. We're sort of hanging around that $300 billion mark for the last sort of five or six days. What's going to be the catalyst for that to come in? Is there anything in particular that is holding them back? Or is it just a matter of the institution still trying to create the teams, the infrastructure, um, and, and the safety net, I suppose, to, uh, to enter it with a little bit more certainty? Well, I think there are just certain things that will naturally make institutions be, be more comfortable to be investors in this asset class. I believe security tokens, the whole securitization is going to have what I call the next, you know, jump up in terms of the players that will come into the market. More and more uh, way that these ICOs start to look more like securities and less like just, um, you know, just projects with uh, uh, pipe dreams, then we'll start to see much more institutionalization and much larger capital come in. I think what's also important is that anything that will dampen the volatility, because volatility in in this particular case is an enemy, because the volatility that we're seeing is phenomenal. It's not just, you know, uh, a little bit uh, excess. It's phenomenal volatility. So uh, institutions want to be able to get into positions and be able to mark to market and have not such large swings on a daily basis. So this is very important. I think this will be one of the reasons that you'll see the next leg up once that becomes a little bit more uh, manageable. But won't the next leg up sort of be, you know, flying in the face of that theory? I mean, if we're going to see, I mean, obviously, if everyone goes to buy Bitcoin, Bitcoin's going to go to 100,000 in a matter of two weeks. If everyone tries to buy it, right, it's because there's not enough there, you know, everyone clambering over a supply and demand type marketplace, which this is with a lot of tokens that are already lost or burnt or whatever you want to call it that have vanished um that would create the market to take off so for the money to start to flow in for us to see the market cap grow do we think that we're going to see less um i suppose running into bitcoin and more that the money will just come in via those traditional methods which is seed capital uh, and buying equity in and that sort of thing so we're going to see as projects hit the market they might come with 50 million dollar valuations 100 million dollar 200 million dollar whatever it may be and that's going to bump up our market cap it may not affect the underlying assets that are already there or tokens that are already there but we will bring the money in through a different trojan horse well, yeah, I mean, look at the current market capitalization. If you dissect it a bit, you know, you start to see that it's very much heavy around Bitcoin, right? Nearly 47%. Uh, Ethereum is about 16%. Ripple is about 6 So really, you know, it's catered to three 
cryptocurrencies, essentially, right? What we need to see is, in, in many cases, the broadening of that and not focus on just those three, uh, you know, currencies. Uh, I think what we need to start to see is as, as we get more institutional investors involved, which have more, uh, different strategies rather than just buying and, uh, and trying to get into those uh, three uh, currencies, you'll start to see uh, a lot more diversification. I think institutional investors will have a little bit of different perspective. And then um, also we'll start to see both sides of the marketplace, not just the buying, but the shorting, which will give, you know, a lot more intempered in terms of the volatility. Well, let's let's go down that little avenue for, for a second, John, because, I mean, we had a brief chat before. I mean, I, I'm noticing a huge amount of exchanges taking interest in, in us at the moment. We, we're getting loads and loads and loads of exchanges trying to get in contact, asking for advising, uh, asking what sort of things the professionals need, what do traders need. Everyone wants one of two things. Most of them just want volume. They want me to say, you know, do a do an affiliate type deal. I was no, that's not really what we're into here. Uh, but they want volume. There are so many exchanges coming about. Exchanges seem to be the new hot ICO, like we saw in January. Is the is that very much the theme? I mean, were you seeing lots of that uh, throughout Korea and uh, and and when you were at the uh, the hybrid summit as well in Thailand? Well, yes. I mean, you're running into the exact same thing that concerns me which is, you know, the evolution that everybody thinks that they can start their own exchange. So we're going to be like cryptocurrency where there's, you know, more than 1,600 cryptocurrencies. We're going to have hopefully not that many. I mean, we're going to have a tremendous number of exchanges, which doesn't bode well for, you know, in terms of volume because you'll basically burst it out to all these different markets. And the reason why people think that there should be more exchanges is because, you know, they have a philosophy that every uh, every country needs to have two or three, right? So we can count the number of different markets that might be relevant, and then you'll start to see their own players and want to be involved. But remember, in the end, there will be only, you know, a handful of really large exchanges and all the other ones will have very little volume. And it, in, 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 you know, the same kind of uh, roadmap that we saw in ICOs, most of them will not be successful to gain the market share that is required. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm all for, I mean, I've been saying this for a while. I, I think that the professional space for traders is really lacking at the moment. So I'm excited to see who's going to win that war. Uh, with competition, there's two, th- there's two sides of this coin, though. You know, with, with competition should come better products for us. But we also need to have uh, liquidity. We need to, if you're in an exchange and you, you cannot trade in and out, then what's the point of being on that exchange? So yeah, we don't want to dilute the pool too much, but hopefully, uh, I mean, the evolution of the space growing as far as the order systems and, and getting closer to what I'm used to in traditional markets, that there needs to be competition to drive the innovation, uh, to grab a hold of the market. I just hope that, uh, that the the leaders rise to the top very, very quickly, um, dominate the, uh, the the volatility or sort of the volume that's out there so that we've actually got not just a platform that has all the bells and whistles, but there's no point having a platform that's fantastic for your orders but you can't get your orders filled (laughs) we need to have both of those things well craig you know that although there's all these exchanges that are being developed there's all sorts of volume that are being done over the counter otc that are just bypassing all the exchanges entirely so on one hand you're starting to see all these large number of new exchanges being developed 
But on the other hand, a lot of the volume now is not being done on the exchanges. So we have really uh, not just a competition of exchanges, but a competition of OTC. That's true. That's another area that's popped up very frequently. I mean, most exchanges now, um, if they didn't have OTC, have have been investing into that throughout this uh, the first part of the year. And it's interesting to see. I mean, since we saw Bitcoin sort of uh, recently, I'm, I am bullish based on my, the way I technically trade. Um, but I mean, I've had a lot more people coming to me saying, you know, they want to put half a million dollars in or 300,000 or 100,000. The larger volume stuff started to come out of the woodwork again, um, which is interesting because, I mean, the thing is, is that that's that those sorts are going to, if they're buying it at the exchanges rather than going OTC, then that's the sort of money that's going to come in that's the medium size. You know, it's, it's the high net worth investor, but it's not the institutional fund investor. That's probably what's going to continue to see the market uh, grow like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and whatnot. Whilst we see the back, sorry, the background work done on individual projects at the VC level, it, it does tend to have that sniff about a little bit of FOMO starting to creep into this market again. Um, now, when we were at Consensus in New York, we were right in the throes of a fairly solid bear market, and it was definitely felt. Uh, the vibe was pretty fun, but it was definitely, you know, it wasn't a euphoric. Everyone talking about Lambos and all that sort of nonsense. Did you find that um, the overall uh, optimism had returned back a little bit at those these recent shows since we had actually seen a bit more positivity coming into the market, or is it still very wary? Well, you know, uh, markets are all about Delta. So we, we're starting to see um, energy back into some of the ICOs as well as, you know, just the overall sentiment. Clearly not at the level it was, uh, say, maybe six months ago. But, you know, for the longest time, I used to go to these uh, uh, conferences and I saw a lot of sad faces. And whereas now, you know, there's a lot more optimism as we are starting to see Bitcoin prices and Ethereum move up. Yeah, it's been a uh, it's been a definitely a rough year for anybody who uh, jumped in during that sort of October to December run, which was, you know, for a lot of people, they're hurting right now, but it was their introduction into the space. And, you know, you've got to get started somehow. As Zig Ziglar says, you don't have to be great to get started, but you have to get started to be great. Um, and, you know, for a lot of people, they might have taken a bit of a painful trip to kick them off. But that's not a bad thing. Something's got to get your, your interest sparked into whatever it is that you're going to commit yourself to. And I think those people are starting to feel a little bit less like they've got egg on their face at the moment as well. I'm seeing certainly across all the uh, different groups and chat boards and whatnot, there's definitely a little less attacking of each other because, you know, people sitting behind computers can get quite nasty when they're, when they're feeling a bit negative. <laughs> it's definitely picked up that the sentiment, I would suggest, and certainly in the circles I'm in, has become uh, more, as you say, there's more smiling faces than there, than there have been sort of whinging, moaning, which is really, really good. So, I mean, what's your wrap across the Korean and uh, the, the Bangkok Hybrid Summit? What were your key takeaway points uh, that you took from both of those events? Because you sort of did them back to back from what I understand. Well, I mean, the Korea one was actually quite a uh, smorgasbord of just a, a lot of different uh, global players reinforcing the importance of Korea as, you know, the one main center of, you know, where blockchain is uh, not only the ICOs, but, you know, as a forefront of potential regulation coming down the pipe. So for me, I think we should all look to Korea as, you know, a, a, a forward thinker and a, you know, leading indicator of what some of the things that are happening in the blockchain world. Um, you know, it, it, it has some of the most interesting statistics because, Really, you know, it's 
It's where 18% of all Ethereum trades take place. It's it's like highest in terms of one of the highest in terms of the amount of wallets that uh, the uh, larger community has. He has one of the largest number of um, you know exchanges. So the things that are happening in Korea are very important. The reason why the global community came there and I continue to see that only trending upward. What I see happening in Thailand is very interesting because Thailand is a very open market now in terms of blockchain. Um, you know, it, it, it's very receptive. Um, it's it's a, a step ahead of some of the more restrictive Asian counterparts. It's uh, it's become much more inclusive, and the or, uh, organic regulation to propel the company. I mean, the country forward. Um, it's you know, it, as you know, Thailand is kind of bordered by. Cambodia, Vietnam, Laos, Myanmar, and Malaysia. And so, you know, it, it has, it is a, it's, it's really um, at the center of where South, Southeast Asia is. And, um, you know, there's a plenty of what I call digital currency evangelists that are coming into Thailand. And the, some of the interesting areas where we see the, the concentration of uh, the communities are in Bangkok, and now even a community that's being developed out of Chiang Mai. So I think where we see going forward in the future is that um, Thailand is much more um, accommodating to ICOs and cryptocurrency. Even the Thai SEC website recently was, you know, talking about promoting and understanding collaboration of what's happening in the ICO space. But, you know, you know, mentioned some caution here for the potential scams, but it seems that all the direction that I see in Thailand is actually very positive. A potential rising star in the space, you think, maybe? Sure. I think there'll be much more attention coming in Thailand uh, than we've seen in the past. So keep your eye uh, as kind of a dark horse, which you would say in for Thailand. But, you know, the lead horse in Korea will definitely still be, you know, at the forefront. Well, Chuan Lee, so much uh, thanks goes to you for uh, bringing us all that information, a very well thought through, level-headed and, um, yeah, a fantastic conversation as always, mate. I know that the uh, the listeners certainly love to have uh, your perspectives, especially, you know, giving us that uh, understanding of uh, the beating heart of blockchain Korea and uh, one of the rising stars in Thailand. So I appreciate you being on the show as always, Juan, and uh, I look forward to speaking to you again in the not-too-distant future, mate. Well, Craig, thanks a lot for having me on, and I look forward to coming back very soon. Good stuff. We'll speak again so- shortly, mate. Thanks for everyone. Bye. The Trader Cobb Crypto Podcast. Check out tradercob.com because experience matters. This show is proudly sponsored by Coinspot.com.au, with the largest range of cryptocurrencies anywhere in the Australian market. With an updated verification process, you can now be verified using only your driver's license or passport within seconds. You can instantly deposit funds and instantly start buying and selling your favorite cryptocurrencies in under five minutes. Coinspot are giving away $10 worth of free Bitcoin for each verified user once they make their first deposit. Just go to coinspot.com.au forward slash BTC123. Views are of the advertiser, not TraderCobb or the audio presenter.